Matthew 4 begins with the temptations of Jesus. After his baptism, we're told that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, and he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. Matthew is again connecting Jesus and the story of Israel. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God calls Israel his firstborn son. And afterwards, Israel is led into the wilderness for 40 years where they're tested by God. Now he does the same at Jesus' baptism, calling him his beloved son and leading him into the tests to come. And keeping this connection in mind is going to help us understand what's so tempting about what Jesus is about to face. The temptations begin with the devil saying, if you are the son of God. So the question is, what does it mean to be the son of God? Through all the Old Testament quotations that Matthew has been presenting us, we see that Jesus has taken on the identity of Israel as a whole. And with that identity comes a responsibility. Jesus would be everything that God hoped and intended for Israel. Where they failed, Jesus would succeed. Where they rebelled, Jesus would obey. Behind all of the tempter's questions lies this one. If you are the son of God, what kind of son will you be? In verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And what's so sinful about feeding yourself? Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. Should we really expect God to be disappointed that he made himself a meal with his miraculous abilities? Jesus answers in verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And there we see God's way of testing Israel in the wilderness and the purpose behind those tests. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God tells Israel that he's worried about what will happen when they enter into the promised land. There they're going to have beautiful cities, abundant fields, and vast natural resources. In the midst of all this prosperity, it would be really easy for Israel to forget who gave it to them. And they would begin to think that they had accomplished all of these things on their own, and that it was by their own hard work that they got these things, not that they were given by a gracious God. So while they were in the wilderness... God let them experience hunger before he fed them with manna. He let them experience life without his blessings. Only then did he give him food every single day for 40 years so that they would know that the only reason they were alive was because of God. The temptation that Jesus faces is to be self-sufficient and leave God behind. Do it all by the might and power of your own hand. Don't trust God to take care of you when you have the power to take care of yourself. But Jesus responds that he's only going to depend on God. So the devil takes that dependence to the extreme. If you trust God so much, if he's going to take such good care of you, prove it. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. If you really trust God to take care of you, then surely he'll save you from a deadly fall. It's even written in the Psalms that his angels will protect you. But Jesus, quoting from Deuteronomy again, tells the Satan, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. This time it comes from Deuteronomy 6.16. The context of Deuteronomy 6 is an appeal to a wholehearted devotion to God and to God alone. And that means keeping his commandments, meditating on his word, and trusting him. The full text of the verse that Jesus quotes is you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Massah was a place that Israel stopped at during their wilderness wanderings. 
You can read about it in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. There, the people of Israel grew thirsty, as most people in the desert tend to be, and soon they start to grow desperate, angry even, fighting and arguing with Moses about why they had ever left Egypt in the first place. Their complaint in verse 3 is that they thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Their questioning of Moses showed a lack of faith in God. They had seen him deliver the ten plagues of Egypt, part the Red Sea so they could cross safely. They'd been given water once already and then fed with manna. But now, in the grip of a new trial, they begin to question if God can get them out of this pickle. How many times does God need to prove himself before we start believing what he says? How much more does he need to do before we believe in his care for us? He already sacrificed his son on the cross. Do we need more proof of his love? To test God is like to give your spouse a pop quiz on your 25th anniversary to see if they really love you. Forget about all the acts of love and devotion over the course of your marriage. It all comes down to this one test. Well, Jesus isn't going to play that game with God. He's going to depend on him because God has already done more than enough to show his care. The devil wants to sow doubt with the test, but Jesus remains steadfast. The third and final temptation comes in verses 8 through 9. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but the lost are all in the grip of Satan. Instead of serving, suffering, and dying on the cross for them, maybe Jesus and the devil could work out a deal? Just bow down to Satan and he'll give you the world. Satan is the father of lies, but there might be some credibility to this offer. Throughout John's gospel and writings, the devil is called the ruler of this world. In Revelation, the whole world worships the dragon, and the devil is able to give authority to the great beasts. So Satan can give Jesus the kingdoms in all their glory, and all without having to endure the cross. Jesus' response this time comes from Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Jesus is going to follow God, even if he's being led to his own death. Jesus is the model child of God, the model that we should all be striving to follow. We should learn, like Jesus, to depend exclusively on God, not ourselves. We should learn to trust God implicitly, not always testing him in every hard situation. And we should be willing to follow him down whatever road he takes us, not just the easy ones including the ones that lead to a cross. Now, your head might be ready to burst from all the Old Testament passages that Matthew keeps bringing up in his gospel, but he's got one more for us in chapter 4. Matthew tells us that Jesus' ministry in the territories of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee are all the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. And this one's rather straightforward. It speaks of a time when Israel would return from the exile. They would take the paths through Zebulon and Naphtali on their way home, bringing the exile to an end. Matthew sees this pattern being followed by Jesus as his preaching and death brings people out of darkness and the captivity of sin into light. But Jesus is not working alone. In verses 18 through 22, we read of him calling his first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. This is the beginning of Jesus' church the people who have responded to Jesus and left their old life behind. 
the summons of Jesus requires sacrifice. But he also gives us a responsibility. Jesus tells them in verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus came to be everything that Israel was supposed to be, a light to the other nations, to show everyone what life with God looked like, what their lives were supposed to look like. And now Jesus is being fruitful and multiplying by calling disciples who will share that same mission with him. And that call is for us who hear his voice today, inviting us to be everything that God intended us to be, to be like Jesus. Jesus.